buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Today, I'm very excited for the guest. I've got a fantastic guest for you. I had the pleasure of going on his show recently. I've got Ryan Staley coming on today. He's the founder and CEO of Whale Selling System. Uh, Ryan helps founders and revenue leaders implement a seven to eight figure sales system in three months based on the principles that grew a business unit from zero to 30 million ARR while adding 25 million plus in capital revenue with only four salespeople without lead generation. Wow. Ryan, super pumped to have you on today and break that down for us. Um, Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, man. Well, it was awesome having you on my show and uh, you kind of hit it off. And so, yeah, really looking forward to chopping it up with you guys. I know we uh, we before we hit the record we were just having too much fun. I was like, wow, we gotta we gotta make this thing happen. Go. Or we're just gotta, gonna gotta get some stuff done, right? Yeah, just gonna sit here shooting the shit all day. <laughs> uh, awesome, man. So tell me, where did your sales journey start, dude? So I, I can start. I can, I can go way back machine. I'm not gonna give like a 20 minute monologue on it, but here here's uh, it started all the way back when I was a bus boy. <laughs> And I was literally driving home after like busing tables and I I saw this sign that said, you know, apply within $16 and 95 cents an hour. And this is like when minimum wage is like 475. So I'm not a hundred years old, but, but that's what it was at the time. And so I went in and they, they had this presentation. This presentation was amazing. And, you know, I started asking these questions. I wore my dad's business suit and I think I had his like briefcase. So probably looked ridiculous at the time and the other thing i was i was rocking i think it was like 15 or 16 like right in that area you know the 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 puberty level where i'm breaking out with acne have the oily skin from working at the uh, restaurant and so um i started asking questions they're like hey you know like sir like you were asking great questions we want to talk to you so they pulled me in the separate room so i go in the separate room and this guy's talking through and he's like yeah basically all you have to do is sell these knives and you could sell them to your parents' friends. And I'm like, that's easy. That's that's gold, right? What could go wrong? What could go wrong mm-hmm. selling knives to your parents' friends? So I'm so excited. I have the uh, the minivan with wood grain siding. I throw it in reverse afterwards, back into a pole, right? Just back <laughs> into a pole. My sheer excitement for sales, back into a pole. I'm like, all right, sweet. I'm not gonna make you know 375 an hour plus tips. I'm making 16.95 an hour. So I drive all the way home and I'm, I tell my parents, like, how did it go? What happened? I'm like, I got offered a job right on the spot. They're like, that's amazing. What is it? 
And I'm like, I'd be selling knives for Cutco to your friends. And they're like, that's a terrible idea. There's no way in hell you're going to do that. You're not going to bother our friends because they're like, well, who are you going to sell to? I'm like, your friends. I'll just hit them up all day long. They're like, no, no, that's that's not going to work. So needless to say, I, I had visions of uh, making thousands and thousands of dollars over the summer. Um, instead, I had to pay off. I think it was like an $800 bill on the minivan with wood grain siding. And so that was a hard learning experience, but that whet the appetite, started off at inside sales um, in like a boiler room type environment, shifted to complex sales, uh, went through that journey, then became a leader. And now I run my own company to help companies, or I should say like SaaS founders or services founders scale their revenue. Wow. Uh, so you, did you, you never got to actually sell the Cutco knives? Never. I, you uh-huh. know, my family did call me um, Al Bundy though. Because uh, my first sales job was selling shoes at a little store called Lebo's, which was uh, character building to say the least. And then, you know, I, I had a lot of crud jobs. I had yellow page advertising. Um, once again, I'm not 100. I'm in my early 40s. Um, but for Northwestern University, killed it there. Then went inside sales to the boiler room. And that was fun. And then I just kept progressing and progressing. Yeah. So I'm super curious of how you went from like boiler room you know, transactional sales to more complex sales. Can you walk me through kind of that journey and, and how challenging that was? Because I think there's a lot of people that are trying to go from like selling a very highly transactional product um, to getting to, you know, more complex, more enterprise type sales. Yeah, no. And it's a great question, Colin, because I see so much, you know, in LinkedIn land about BDRs and SDRs and uh, they have the hardest jobs in, in the world. And I'm like, I, it's definitely a hard job. It's a hard job in a different way as you escalate, though. It's a hard job in terms of the the quantity of no's that you get and the just sheer grit you have to have to power through that. So um, what happened was, dude, here's what I would tell you. I sucked at every sales job when I initially started. Yeah. I was never just like automatic, you know, like the guy who'd, who'd walk through right out of his train class, start closing deals pointing at the hot ladies in the office and, you know, pretending like I owned it. That wasn't me, man. I was always like a late bloomer. I, um, I always sucked initially. And, and then what happened is I persevered through it. Like the inside sales job, like I was the last one in my training class to sell something, but then I was number one in North America. Right. So then I parlayed that into, uh, working for an outside sales organization, selling managed services to mid-market companies and then what happened there is once again, I didn't sell a deal for the first nine months, um, then killed it months 9, 10, 11, and 12. Next year, made President's Club and then kept ramping up, got equity um, as a rep, and, and we had a little exit there. So that was pretty cool. Um, and so then what happened from there is I parlayed that into larger sales because I, I, even though I was a mid-market rep, I got to the point where I was selling... I. I I managed to scrape in some larger deals into my, you know, my, my territory. And so that I, I got a deal that was, I think it was like, they ended up spending $200,000 a month um, with us. And then eventually I parlayed that into management. And then I parlayed that into creating an enterprise team, which we grew from zero to 30 million and AR with only four salespeople. So yeah, man. So that's my jam. 
That's how it works. Wow. So I'm, I'm curious to learn a little bit, like you said, you're a late bloomer in some of these, but then just totally crushed it. Right. Mm-hmm. And why, why do you think that is right? So you embraced the fact that you sucked at certain points, which I love that, um, persevered to like being very successful, being number one in North America, you know, and then, you know, continuing sort of that sort of track record. What is it about the way that you sell, uh, that you think, you know, that kind of was the common theme for you? Yeah, I, I think the common the, the big reason why is I was I never worked for like a really large company. I always worked for an unknown brand. So, you know, in terms of like setting your team up to succeed, like I was never really set up to succeed that well. <laughs> um, I was like, let's say uh, and, I, and I'm a football fan. So it's like the Bears. Like no matter what quarterback they threw in there for a while, it doesn't matter. And it's, it's still rough. They got Justin Fields now, which definitely helps. But, you know, they wouldn't put anybody around them. They, and so what I meant by that is, and I'm not a pro quarterback by any means, but like the, the, the definition of training and development was like, you have one week of training and that's it. Go figure it out on your own. So like I worked, now that I think of it, probably my entire career in a resource constrained environment and I had turnover at the management level. So it gave me a tremendous amount of tenacity that I needed to execute on, but I also had to figure it out. Like if I didn't figure it out on my own, I was dead. Cause I, there wasn't like a path to look to. So, mm-hmm. um, so I would say that was the big reason why. Um, however, when I started modeling people in other cities that, that perform really well, then that opened up my eyes to kind of the easy path. And that's what I'm trying to help founders do right now as well. Yeah. Wow. I love that. So you often hear about reps like, uh, we've got, you know, crappy training, no resources. And that's true in a lot of sales organizations, but that can actually work in your favor, right? Mm -hmm. Because like you have to figure things out. It's either figure things out or fail or be out of a job. Right. Right. And when your back's up against the wall, I mean, I'm kind of like yourself. I perform well under pressure with limited resources. Um, and it's actually kind of refreshing to have sort of your own autonomy to like figure out the path rather than like, hey, you got to stick on this path. It's already predetermined of, you know, the path to success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree, man. It's it's tough. And, and like, even if you look at the failure rates now with sales reps, it's like 67% don't even hit quota. You know, like that's insane. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, the other thing is, so like I see, I see founders and companies trying to do the same thing because they've been successful at other parts of their business or life. And so they just try and uh, struggle through it. And a lot of times they're successful, but then they kind of hit a wall where it's like either they, they can't work more than the 60 hours a week they're working or the 70 hours a week. They can't be the only person selling their solution. So it's like, how do you expand from there, you know, kind of the easy way. And so a lot of times there's core principles that you would take for granted. And I take for granted because I've been doing it for 20 years. That is like, it's like magic mushrooms to them. Right. I don't even know where I came up with magic mushrooms, but it's like, it's like (laughs) some psychedelic shit that they're looking at. Right. You know, like, they're like, Oh my God, I've never seen that before. Where did that come from? You know? So it just shows like how information is, is, aggressively accelerating that things change so fast that what you take is something that's just like brushing your teeth or putting on deodorant is like life changing to someone else who specialize in a different area. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so, so tell me a little bit about this, you know, what I read in your bio, cause I know there's people at this point that are like, how the heck did this dude do that? Right. Um, zero to 30 million with four sales reps and no lead generation. Right. Right. Yeah. Like we had no lead right? generation, no marketing. We had like a marketing guy that helped with like PowerPoint presentations. And you know, if we did events, um, we had no SDRs. And so, yeah. And so when I started, we had no team, no playbooks, no nothing really. So, um, which, which is you're used to that. That was, that's your jam, you know, <laughs> yeah, making no, something happen with nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean it's, it's not hard though. Right. At first. Um, cause like, so that started, it was so funny. It was born out of a demotion because what happened was I was just, just grinding my way through it and I was getting results but I was kind of a dick to be around. And so my team really didn't want to work for me anymore, which, you know, is hard to hear, but like the founder kept smashing the more buttons. Like you got to do more, you got to do more, you got to do more. So I tried to keep up with it and now work it. And mm -hmm. as a result, I kept, I pressed the pressure on me, got pressed down to my team and my team didn't respond well to that. So they're like, Hey, we're going to have you basically, you're really good at big deals. We've noticed that. So we want you to focus on that and basically help is kind of like an overlay to help reps manage under this new guy. And so I was like, okay, you know, like I was like, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds away from like quitting. <laughs> like, mm. like it was, it was cause it he literally took me to the restaurant where I had my wedding reception at. And my boss came in town and told me this and, and like no warning or like no warnings in advance. So it was basically like getting cold cocked. Right. Yeah. And so I went through that, man. And, and, but the beautiful thing that came out of it is that the, the, the results that we got is awesome. Like we had from my team perspective, like a sales rep who was an assistant, um, never any B2B sales experience ended up making, I think it was like 600 grand in a couple of years, uh, under some of the stuff that, that we developed. And then at the same time, you know, that led the foundation for that ARR that we got led to an exit um, private equity exit. And so that was really cool. And then, you know, like we got a cold deal from Amazon whole foods. Like that doesn't happen very often for like 20 million plus, you know? So like those were the things, but along the way with that journey, like what I use to do that. And I, I want you guys, if, if you are listening and you are serious about like doubling the deal size for your business, you want to write this down now. Okay. So it's, it's called the perfect customer profile. And I, I talked about it at the chief revenue officer school and the enterprise sales school for pavilion taught about 500 sales leaders on enterprise sales. And this is one of the things that I got the most positive feedback. Is it cool if I share it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, okay. I've been waiting for us to get to this point. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> so basically like if you want to think about it, there's, there's two ways you can think about it. It'd be kind of like if you were a pro team, like, and we're talking about football. So let's say, um, you're a pro team. And a lot of times during the draft, the team will have first round picks, second round picks, third round, fifth, six, I think they go up to seven now, maybe is the last, maybe six. So basically a lot of what people don't take the time, and this is like a high leverage activity, but it's essentially the equivalent of when you're, when you're draft, you have all first round draft picks that go into your pipeline. So you don't have the second round picks, the third round picks, the fourth round picks, all the way to mm -hmm. six, they're all, it's like seven first round draft picks, right? And so how to get a little bit deeper is basically what it is, is, is it's looking at what I call, most people are familiar with ICP. You've heard of ICP, right? Yep. 
ideal customer profile for those that aren't in the uh, sales marketing swag world. Um, so you got that. And then it, it's like, if that your ICP had a baby with Pareto's principle, the 80, 20 rule, right? Where 20% of what you do creates 80% of your results. And so I stumbled across this when I saw a rep leveraging this and then I applied it. And what basically it is, is you take, you look at your deals and, and this, you could be a $1 million company and still do this. Okay. So don't, don't think because you're smaller, you can't, but you look at the five biggest clients that you've closed, the five fastest clients that you've closed and the five biggest losses that you've had. Right. And then what you do is you look at it and, and you look at the ownership structure across those, the functional areas, the biggest result that you created for them. Um, and, and basically apply those principles. And there's probably another eight or nine different variables you look at, but, but those are the core elements and the size of the problem you've solved breaking down into a quantity. Then I'll, I'll give you an example. So when I did this, this is a core exercise I do with one of my clients. Basically what we found is there was his biggest deal size was this opportunity where they essentially had, um, they were charging, and I'm not going to say the name of the company they're at, but they were charging, let's say, 10 grand a month or something like that, right? Not even 10 grand a month. It was way less than that. It was maybe like five grand a month. And no, it was like two grand a month. It was just super low, right? But the size of the problem that they were solving alone by displacing an audit firm that audited inventory was $250,000. So basically, mm. they 10 x it on a cost replacement alone. Uh, and then on a top of it, they had all the benefits of the solution that had a benefit of hundreds of thousands of dollars, as well as hundreds and hundreds of hours. So my whole point and getting like super detailed on this, the reason why is like, if he just put all customers in his pipeline like that, there's two things that'll happen. He could like basically almost quadruple his deal size instantly without changing his team, without changing his sales process, just by targeting. And at the same time, his deals will close way faster because the ROI and the return on basically work is ridiculous versus treating everybody else the same. Does that make sense, Colin? Yeah. So what I hear you're saying here is really going deep on figuring out the value and the ROI of your best customers. And based on getting that data, you can start to assess like, are you pricing, are you pricing well or not? Right. In that scenario, that client clearly could be charging way more for what than they were for what they were doing. Right. And then from there you have your PCP, right? Your perfect customer profile. And you want to target only people that have, that are like that particular client that have the same problems as that client. So how do you do that? Yeah. So then from there, and the other thing I, I didn't want to leave out is like two simple ways where you could double your revenue is your, you double your deal size, right? You don't need to change your staff or you cut the time in half that it takes to close a deal. Cause that, that's another situation. And, and by the way, I found out later that Snowflake, the largest IPO in history, have you heard of Snowflake before? Uh, I have heard of them, but I don't know a ton about this. Okay. So tell me. So it's like the only IPO that Warren Buffett has invested in, in like the last 25 years and they invested $250 million in them. And so basically what I found out after I did this is uh, that basically Snowflake has, does the same thing, but it's a 50 by 50 method. They just look at the 50 biggest deals and the 50 fastest deals. So 
Uh, if it works for me and it works for Snowflake, it could work for you. So, mm. so, so to take it from there, then what you do is now that you know the exact like triggers as well as the functional component people and the, the demographics of the account. Now, what you want to do is anybody that you're prospecting or targeting has to hit on those, those areas. And so there's sub niche um, groups that are like that. I mean, we saw, we, when I did this with my team, we found that there was one deal, one sub niche vertical, the grocery area, which is why we got Whole Foods and, and from and Amazon, because of the fact that we, we could get a deal size that was five times uh, another vertical while basically having the deal close in the same amount of time. So it's like five times the deal size closing in the same amount of time. So the idea is, and you could look at like a, a data source like Zoom Info or once you understand those details or like Apollo and get all those and fill those with your potential targets. And then for your outbound or your marketing or whatever, you want to make sure that you're targeting those people and hitting on those messages because they'll be really fast to reply because it's, it's ridiculous what you could do for them. So let's 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 think about this scenario for a second, right? Because I think that where a lot of sellers get a little scared to go like too niche, and and this is a big problem for a lot of sellers. You, we, you know, uh, I think we were, I don't remember. I think we were talking about it before. Like sixty plus percent of sellers aren't hitting quota, right? That's a big problem. It's like sixty-seven. And I think, think sixty-seven, 67 yeah. to yeah. be exact, right? So, so what that means is they're filling their pipeline with a bunch of crap right? In a lot of cases. And so how can sellers be a little bit more intentional about the, who they're targeting, but also be very disciplined on the deals that they work and allow in their pipeline? Yeah. So um, I think like, if you're focusing on larger deal sizes, and once again, this isn't for a $5,000 a month deal, but if you look at it, I just read this yesterday, deal size is like 15 to 25K, 25 to 50K. Average sales cycle length is anywhere from two to like four and a half months, right? So it applies to there on up is what I would say. So earlier on, smaller pipe, it's not going to be as applicable. Uh, but how do you stay focused is have named accounts and and be hyper intentional. And then as and this is really critical for business owners, too, and founders is have your team at least quarterly update their their dream 100 is what I call it, right? So what's your dream 100? How do you target it? And then have a balanced portfolio as well, just like you would in your investments where you're not 100% calling on all the really, really big opportunities, right? You got to mix it so that you have some some heavy hitters with those, you know, those basically PCP profile real heavy because a lot of times, to Colin, those could be deals that are, take longer because the deal size is much bigger, right? So right. you don't want to just only go up to the the go up to bat and try and hit a home run every single pitch. Sometimes you got to get the singles and doubles. So what I what I leverage and it worked really well with reps with no experience uh, is basically start off and have like thirty percent of their dream one hundred allocated, and then as they got the skill sets and they started getting some wins, you could amp that up to fifty. Right. So mm -hmm. then you have some 50% medium, 50% big. And then what will happen is you'll go from average deal sizes of 20K one year, then they're 40K, then they're 80K, then they're 160, then 320, then you're talking six, 700K plus, And that's game changing. And you don't even need to add staff for it. That's the beautiful thing about it. 
Wow. All right. So how does, let's say for like founders, you know, that are, that are listening that, you know, don't have this type of experience. Talk to me a little bit about like the operating systems that you help, you know, implement, um, you know, to implement a system like this. Right. So that's just the tip of the spear. And so one of the things I do is I help them figure this out and I walk them through this exercise. And it's crazy. There's always like, massive ahas that people have when they go through this because they're like, oh, I didn't realize that or I didn't stop and think about that. I have um, one of, ah, man, I can't say the company, but this guy grew a company from like zero to 300 million and just brilliant guy. And he's just like, I I struggle with this, right? And, mm. and so like, for some reason it comes easy to me. And so walk them through that process help them identify the targeting. And then from there, there's like three core operating systems that I think you need to implement if you're trying to do a larger deal size. That's the primary um, system that you have. That's everywhere from the strategy to the process, the execution. The biggest mistake founders make is they just look at the sales process and it's more um, internally focused versus buyer focused. Uh, mm -hmm. That's step one. Step two is, okay, now that you got them as a customer, what's the secondary sales process you have? Right? How are you going to expand and upsell and get that NRR, that net reoccurring revenue um, up or net retention revenue, I think it is, up so that, you know, and you look at like Palantir, like they got 36%, their customers spent 36% more growth year over year. It's like, how do you create that? That's the second one. And then the overlying function that bridges across two of those is to create a referral operating system. And that referral is is beautiful because it helps you close deals in half the amount of time and the deal size is once again is 125 to 150 percent and that's just by leveraging all the investments you already made and then systemizing it so you continually get warm leads that are it's kind of like a new category that i think sits in between inbound and outbound that's absolutely critical and one of the best ways to double and triple your business wow yeah i want to dig into that because i know so many sellers struggle with referrals. And mm -hmm. I don't know why. I read something recently that only like 11% of sellers actually ask for referrals. And and I think my opinion on it is that they haven't they don't it's fear-based. They don't feel like they've earned the right to ask for a referral, but I'd love to hear your take on, you know, why that is and what actually implementing and having a process around referrals looks like. Yeah, sure, man. So I, I think the number one reason is yeah, a big part of it's confidence. And like, they'll try it a couple of times. They're like, yeah, it didn't work. Right. <laughs> well, it's just like, you know, yeah. as a baby, if you did that when you're walking, like you wouldn't be walking today, but you don't stop. And so a lot of times I think what it is, is people ask and then what they'll do is they'll be like, Hey, Colin, you know, um, you know, it, it would really help me out if you could give me a, um, if you, if you know anybody like you that I could work with and nine and a half times out of 10, like you're putting the person on the spot they're not yeah. going to have like three referrals to think of off the top of their head unless somebody just said something to them. Right. So yeah. basically I created a four step framework, which is like, okay, what are the pathways? What are the incentives? And, and here's another big mistake. Usually money is not the best incentive. Most people always go to money. It's usually not the best incentive. So that's step one. Like what's the proper incentive? Is it connecting them with someone that just recently solved the problem that they have? Um, is it, you know, basically after buying your solution, is it the next problem that comes up? Is it something to solve that? Is it our additional seats or licenses, right? 
So those are the pathways. The second one are the peaks. What are the emotional peaks that you have, that your buyer has throughout the buying process, right? Where do they get super excited and jazzed? It's kind of like when you fall in love, you know, for the first time and you have that special emotional feeling where you're like, I'll run through a wall, I'll do anything, right? Well, when a customer invests in your solution and they put their, you know, they jump up on the table and say, we gotta go with this, especially if it's a larger deal size, and it comes through and it works really well, they're in that euphoric state. So it's like, what's the right timing? You know, example of the wrong timing. Just get back from a trip to Vegas, right? You come in, you roll in all hung over. If you, if, if you do that kind of thing, right? You have your kids running around, your wife's been taking the care of the kids all weekend. And then yeah. she's just like, oh my God, the kids did so much this weekend. It was pain in the butt. You know, this Johnny puked on Sally. Sally threw up on, you know, it was just, I got zero sleep. And that'd be like, the wrong way to do it be like, all right, awesome. Like, hey, I want to go on another guy's trip next week. You can say I had so much in Vegas. Do you care if I go next weekend, right? She's going to say, hell no. <laughs> I, love, I love that example. Yeah. Hell no, right? Yeah. So it's the opposite of that. You want to do the opposite of that when they're, they have that euphoric state. Next one are yeah. our process. So when your wife comes back from a girl's trip, you're yeah. like, hey, I'm thinking about going on a guy's trip. Yeah, sure. No problem. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, so the next one are the process. What are existing processes that you have in place from your sales process? And how do we drop that in? So it's super hyper simple for salespeople to execute on them. And then last but not, not least is persuasion, right? And persuasion, and oh, by the way, the process, like I, I, I leveraged, um, there's a book called Tiny Habits. Have you heard of Tiny Habits at all before? I have not. Okay, it's the behavior design research behind Atomic Habits. So, okay. so basically James Clear took uh, BJ Fogg's class and there's two other kids that took BJ Fogg's class. And those kids basically created a business and sold it, I think it was within 18 months, for a billion dollars. And guess what it is? Tell me. Instagram. The guys leverage his behavior design in Instagram to sell a billion dollar business 18 months later. So I leveraged that. And then on top of it too, um, persuasion, um, or that's the last, the fourth P. And really there's, um, you know, 90% of what we do as adults, I think it's once you get past the age of 30, is hardwired and and based in our subconscious. So it's tapping into that subconscious. So and aligning that the right way and saying the right thing at the right time. So that's the the four piece stack. And that's that's how you do it. That's a quick kind of synopsis of the framework. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for breaking it down. Um, I think anybody who's listening to that write that down, get to work because I was blown away when I read that only like 11% of sellers ask for referrals. I thought that number was crazy. Um, and I think that is a big piece of the confidence, like not having the confidence, like you got to feel like you've done good work and earn the right to ask, but then you need to ask at the right time in the right way and have a process around it so that it actually is successful. Can, can I share one thing, man, with the, the confidence? This will help anybody listening, if it's sales reps, sales managers, founders, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So after someone's implemented your your solution, ask them to rate you on a scale of one to five, with five being the best, one being the worst. Here's a tip. They reach you a four or five, you're doing a great job, and they'll, they'll give you a referral. You know? Um, oh, the last but not least, I forgot to mention, one of the things embedded in that process is to come with them to people they're connected to and ask if you could reach out yeah. to them to make it super simple. That's the piece I forgot. Um, yeah. Because then you're not asking them to think on the spot and it's super low effort. And so then it's very easy for them to say yes. 
either have specific people or give them a good idea of what a good referral looks like. Like just this, that kind of generic vanilla example that you gave previously is like, Hey, other people like you, like, I don't know, what is another person like me? What do you, I don't know what you want. (laughs) Right. Like, um, so specific people, great. Like, Hey, I see that you're also, you know, connected to these three people. And that's the big thing. I think a lot of people ask for, a referral. They don't ask for multiple. No, ask for um, ask for like ten. You should ask, like yeah. <laughs> like I'll bring a, you can bring a list of like ten names, right? And you can say like, hey, I know you're connected to these ten people. You know, um, you probably only know half of them. Which ones of these guys do you know or gals? Oh, I only know five. It's like, all right, cool. You mind if I send an email and then copy you on it and send it out to them? And you know, most of the time they'll say, I would say probably seventy five, eighty percent of the time they'll say yes. And here's the thing, they like this. Like think of, here's the other thing too, Colin, to think about, you know, when's the last time, have you gotten a referral from someone that provided you a service that helped them out, that really helped you out that you could think of or a solution? Have uh, you lost me there a little bit? So yeah. So I, like, yeah. You know, like, like think about it from this perspective, or, or yeah. you, the listener, could think through this. Like, when's the last time like a friend or a peer is like, "Hey, I use this and it worked really well," you know, like, and and you started using that work well for you. It, it like made you feel good, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I would say I have more examples in just like personal, you know, like, Hey, I use this app. You should check it out too type of scenario. Cause remember in the B2B space, only 11 people are 11% of sellers are asking for referrals. So it doesn't happen that much. Right. It should happen more. But in my personal life, like, Hey, I use this, you know, workout app. I use this meditation app. I've been using this journal. I've been doing this habit. And then, you you know, like intermittent fasting, standing desk, you know, drinking a gallon, like all these things that I do that um, have been things that I've picked up from other people. They're like, hey, I've been doing this. It's been working out well and you should try it. Yeah, exactly. And then they try it and they love it. And so basically, like you're sharing your I mean, first of all, as a seller, if you do it the right way and you give first with that mentality, like you'll build stronger relationships You'll make people feel good about sharing with other people, especially if you circle back and be like, hey, thank you so much. Show gratitude. Um, The other thing is, too, is people need this. Like there's been more information in the world created over the last three years on the Internet than the entire history of the world. Right. So if there's that much information, people are overloaded and it allows them to shortcut good decisions by leveraging people that they trust. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome, Ryan. Uh, tons of value in here. Really appreciate having you on. Uh, any final thoughts? What are we going to include in the show notes for people? Yeah, just check up the scale up. Check out the scale up show. That's my podcast. I have lots of cool founders like Colin has on love, love, love to break it down. And um, yeah, just just come up, come check out the show. I would say that's the number one thing. And then you know, if you need help uh, and you want to deploy some of these principles and, and add seven figures in less than three months to your business, reach out to me. You can DM me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always on there. I publish almost daily. So, yeah, it's the best places to find me, man. Awesome. We'll include that in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really does help us out. And we're always listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop us a voice DM, and we will get back to you. 
Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.